My govanen melunin, and thanks for tuning in to Speak, Friend, and Enter, a podcast where my sister and I use Tolkien's books to explain some things that the Lord of the Rings movies didn't make totally clear. She's Audrey, your movie buff sister, and I'm Leah, your book nerd sister. Let's jump right back into the discussion about Frodo's relationships with Sam and his cousins Merry and Pippin. Tavern times, hanging out. Um, Sam looking at Rosie Cotton. <laughs> Sam so smitten. So just tell me more about the unfortunately underdeveloped Rosie Cotton. <laughs> there, we see her like three times in this whole series. Yeah. And I feel like there's got to be more to her. Unfortunately, she remains underdeveloped really? because she's a woman and Tolkien uh, doesn't write yeah, about those. <laughs> that's true. It's just like, you're just here to be the motivation of one of the male characters. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That bums me out. There's so many times in like the, the extended family trees where it's like, Aragorn has a son and then several unknown daughters or like this person has a brother and then an, an unknown sister like it's just fuck you talking <laughs> i know right Learn... I, mean, I love you but but also fuck you a little but bit also fuck you a little bit <laughs> what we do know about her is that her family grew up with the gamji family and they went swimming in the bywater pool together often as children Ooh. Most of the rest of what we know about her is stuff that happens after the War of the Ring. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to spoil it yet. After Frodo times entering into Sam times. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, we'll call that Sam times. Rosie times. Mm-hmm. Sam and Rosie times. <laughs> so why is Elijah Wood so bad at saying Mordor? <laughs> Moldo. Moldo. <laughs> So uh, this is the point now. Uh, Gandalf has returned from mm-hmm. his search, his seventeen-year journey, seventeen-year journey <laughs> to still eighteen-year-old Elijah Wood. Uh, quote: Sauron has returned. What does this mean exactly? Was this the thing about biding his time, or did something bring him back? It's a little unclear, especially since Gandalf and the White Council like kicked Sauron in the butt. 60 to 80 years ago, depending on where that 17 years is. Uh, I think that this line refers more to Sauron as a power to be feared and dealt with Mm -hmm. um, because he's just been kind of a vague unease until this point. But now that the ring is back out in the world and Gollum has told Sauron where to get it, uh, he's returned to the world stage. Okay. Uh, do they, Gandalf? <laughs> um, that's one of my notes here. Why? <laughs> to what end? I just want to show you how I wrote it. Do they, Gandalf? <laughs> just alternating lowercase and like we're we're it's fucking the early two thousands and we're late speaking. <laughs> <laughs> we're um, were Frodo and Sam pretty good friends already, or was he really just like Bilbo's gardener? Well. Movie canon shows Frodo and Sam being like pals who go drinking guess, together. Yeah, I guess they were at the party and at the tavern and stuff together. Yeah, and like uh, Frodo, like encourages Sam's love life. Yeah, he's he's invested enough in Sam's life and happiness that he wants him to go for it with Rosie Cotton. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, however, in book canon, they have a much more master servant relationship. Hot. <laughs> We're going there on this podcast. I mean, we had to at some point. With they, Sam. I mean, he wrote them gay. That's the yeah. problem. Yes. <laughs> the The movies make them 
pals probably to make their relationship more palatable for a modern audience, especially a modern American audience, yeah. because class distinctions and especially people taking class distinctions for granted as like an unchangeable truth make Americans very uncomfortable. Mm, yeah. Frodo and Bilbo are like fancy boy gentle hobbits. They're wealthy enough not to work. And Sam is obviously like a blue collar, hardworking yeah. guy. Yeah. They wouldn't generally move in the same social circles. It's not as clear cut as that, though. Like there's a class divide between Frodo and Pippin and Mary, who are all fancy boys, and Sam, who is not fancy. Mm -hmm. um, but they're all still friendly. And there's like obviously a very deep uh, loving bond between Frodo and Sam, yeah. you know, despite that class divide. Right. There is an entire episode of the Tolkien Professor's podcast dedicated entirely to the subject of master servant relationships in Lord of the Rings, and it's obviously mostly about Frodo and Sam. Yeah. Uh, and it's a very, very good episode. Gives a lot of um, examples from the text of that relationship happening. Yeah. Uh, and I will link it in the show notes so that you can check it out if you I guess the other master-servant relationship would be Frodo and um, Smeal. Mm -hmm. yeah. There's um, there's also Saruman and Grima Wormtongue. Oh, great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Wormtongue's a real sub, isn't he? I wish you had said literally <laughs> anything else. I am not happy right now. <laughs> I quit the podcast. Was Sam uh, recruited in the same way in the book? Yes. Just pulled out, pulled, <laughs> pulled into the house through a window. That part of the movie was incredibly faithful to the book. Yes. Sam's like eavesdropping while clipping the hedges and Gandalf gets suspicious when he doesn't hear the clipping anymore and he reaches out the window and drags Sam inside. <laughs> so um, Gandalf tells Sam, you know, to punish you for eavesdropping, you're going to have to go with your master on this quest. That is so heavy. I know, I know. <laughs> it's like um, you have to go on an 18 month long journey now. Well, at this point, the quest is just get to Rivendell. Oh, that's right. Mm -hmm. Okay, he wasn't condemning him to like the terror that ensued. <laughs> uh huh. It is really interesting, though, that even though it's only, I mean, I say only a 450 mile journey, but compared to the rest of the shit that he lands in, yeah. just getting to Rivendell isn't so daunting. But even in the books, he really, he doesn't think he'll ever see Bag End again. Like, he is sure he will never come back to the Shire. He might die or he might just never come back. Oh. I know. he's He has a very bleak view of it from the very beginning. Uh, so Frodo says, I shall have to go, but, and here Frodo looked hard at Sam, if you really care about me, you will keep that dead secret. See? If you don't, if you even breathe a word of what you have heard here, then I hope Gandalf will turn you into a spotted toad and fill the garden full of grass snakes. <sighs> Sam fell on his knees trembling. <laughs> Get up, Sam, said Gandalf. I have thought of something better than that. Something to shut your mouth and punish you properly for listening. You shall go away with Mr. Frodo. Me, sir, cried Sam, springing up like a dog invited for a walk. <laughs> Me, go and see elves and all. Hooray, he shouted, and then burst into tears. Aww. Sam's such a good boy. So cute. <laughs> I'm just so excited to get to go on this journey. Yep. I get yep. to go. 
<laughs> Can we talk a lot about the big differences in the five months between Gandalf's arrival and Frodo's departure in book canon? Mm-hmm. We talked a little bit about it last time that <laughs> Gandalf comes back from his information gathering adventure and like Sam and Frodo leave in the <laughs> middle of the night. Immediately sends yeah. them on. Yeah. yeah. Whereas in book canon, Frodo spends five months getting his affairs in order. Yeah. So the big plot points that happen in that five months. So Frodo, as we mentioned, takes the time to leave Bag End for two reasons. He is reluctant to go. He loves the Shire and he loves Bag End. And he specifically doesn't want to make the stir that Bilbo did, like we talked about last time. Yeah. That Bilbo, everyone talks about his leaving for a year and a day. Yeah. And he's, a, he's the legendary Mad Baggins. <laughs> so Frodo wants to take time and leave with as much stealth as he can. Mm-hmm. So he makes plans to throw one last birthday party for him and Bilbo and leave after that. And he has been throwing Bilbo birthday parties for the last 17 <laughs> years. They have the same birthday. But, like, Bilbo's not there. Yeah, but it's like, and pour one out for Bilbo. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, does he know? Him? Oh, no, that's so delusional. No. Uh, Gandalf hangs in the Shire for two of the five months. And when he leaves, he says, I'll be back in time for the birthday party and we'll go together. To Rivendell. Mm-hmm. So Frodo sells Bag End to Lobelia Sackville yes. Baggins, and he does nothing to stop the rumors that the reason he's leaving Hobbiton is that he's run out of money. Oh. <laughs> and he's going to live in Buckland with his mother's family. Okay. So Mary helps him choose and purchase a house in Crick Hollow, which is uh, a little farther east than Buckleberry Ferry. Yeah. So that's that's all in Buckland. So Mary knew about... He knew about what's happening? Nope. No, he didn't. Nope. He, Frodo said, I want to buy a house. And Mary's like, I got you, fam. Cool. <laughs> this is my neck of the woods. I'll get you a good house. Yeah. Uh, so Frodo pretends to everyone except Sam that this plan to move to Crick Hollow is legit and he's moving to Buckland for good. Right. Gandalf never shows up to Bag End, so Frodo leaves without him. He leaves Bag End with Sam and Pippin to meet Merry and two other friends who never come up again uh, at his new house. They meet with some Rivendells along the way (laughs) and spend an evening with them. One of them, Gildor, tells him that if Gandalf is late, then something bad has happened and Frodo should take as many allies as he can get on his journey. So this is how Merry and Pippin get, like, recruited. Just wait. You're so close. While on their journey, they do have that same kind of encounter with the Black Rider, where they're hiding... Underneath, like, a tree. Basically, yeah, they're just, like, very ever so slightly out of the Black Rider's vision, and it's that same kind of sniffing thing that Pippin actually is obsessed with. He's like, and tell him about the sniffing whenever he tells anybody about it. (laughs) Um, And the only reason that the Black Rider is drawn off is because he can... Of a bag of carrots. (laughs) It's because of a bag of carrots. (laughs) Gosh darn it. Uh, Because these elves come upon their hiding place and they're singing a hymn to one of the Valar. And the Black Rider's like, oh, it's too pure. And he just runs away. (laughs) Exactly. So the next day, they go to Farmer Maggots, and he tells them about a Black Rider who came looking for them. He also says that he'll tell the next Black Rider whatever Frodo wants, like he's gone, he's dead, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then he drives them in his wagon to Buckleberry Ferry. So oh, so they have a much nicer relationship with Farmer Maggots <laughs> yeah. in the book. <laughs> yeah, Farmer Maggots a real bro. Although it is like Frodo is terrified to go 
see Farmer Maggot because he hasn't seen him since he was like eight years old and he had stolen some mushrooms and Farmer Maggot beat him. Oh! <laughs> yeah. And then like it says punishment. in the narration that Sam like immediately takes a dislike to Farmer Maggot because anyone who would beat up his master sucks. <laughs> I don't know. hurt the love of my life. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. The official ship of Speak Friend and Enter the podcast is unsurprisingly Sam slash Frodo. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh, so at the Crick Hollow house, Mary and Pippin reveal that they have known for months that Frodo A is planning to leave and B is in some kind of danger and that Frodo is a fool for thinking that he had tricked them. <laughs> Frodo says, please don't try to stop me. And Pippin says, you do not understand. You must go and therefore we must too. Mary and I are coming with you. Sam is an excellent fellow and would jump down a dragon's throat to save you if he did not trip over his own feet, but you will need more than one companion in your dangerous adventure. And at this point, Pippin is one of Frodo's younger cousins. He's like 22 years younger than Frodo. So in book canon even, Pippin's not yet of age even. Like, he's like... He's under 33 in Hobbit years, which would make him like a 16 or 17-year-old. Like under 18, Mm -hmm. basically. Yeah. He's just like, he's just a baby boy who wants to keep his big cousin Frodo safe. And it's really cute. Adorable. Um, Mary fucking knew about the ring. What? (laughs) He saw Bilbo put it on to escape a conversation with the Sackville Bagginses. (laughs) But he just never said anything. No, exactly. So after Frodo started like prepping to move, Mary... Mary, Pippin, and the other two friends, Fatty and Fosco, and Sam, formed a conspiracy to find out what Frodo was up to and find a way to help him. Um, Such pals. They are. They're they're very doughty friends. Uh, But it does not seem that I can trust anyone, said Frodo. Sam looked at him unhappily. It all depends on what you want, put in Mary. You can trust us to stick to you through thick and thin to the bitter end, and you can trust us to keep any secret of yours closer than you keep it yourself, but you cannot trust us to let you face trouble alone and go off without a word. We are your friends, Frodo. We are horribly afraid, but we are coming with you or following you like hounds. And after all, sir, added Sam, you did ought to take the elves' advice. Gildor said you should take them as was willing and you can't deny it. So Mary's really in charge of the whole thing. He's quietly getting everything ready, packing everything, planning, making sure everyone leaves on time, buying this friggin' house for Frodo. He's much more competent in the books. Absolutely, yes. <laughs> I, don't, I don't fault the movies for making him like a comic, comic relief, relief character. Is he Cheech or Chong? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know enough about the Cheech and Chong legendarium <laughs> to uh, to assign. <laughs> Fair enough. So the next day they leave through the old forest to avoid being seen by anyone who might be able to tell the Black Riders where they've gone. Mm-hmm. Um, and here begins a lot of stuff that the movies cut, like Old Man Willow and Tom Bombadil and fighting the Barrow Whites. I won't get into all of it because that's not what this podcast is. Uh, maybe we'll do a deep lore episode about it if folks are interested. It's like four chapters of the book that get cut out. Yeah. That's that's everything that happens during the five months where Frodo's getting all his stuff together. Mm-hmm. He thinks he's being very secretive. His friends form a conspiracy to help him. <laughs> Such a sweet conspiracy. Yep. I like nice conspiracy theories. Yeah, I would prefer to see more of those. <laughs> Okay, so they they went out on their journey, 
And just to quote, if I take one more step, it'll be the farthest away from home I've ever been. So uh, about a day later, they run into Mary and Pippin. <laughs> like on their daily vegetable like, run. Like they're just doing their normal thing. A day's walk out from the furthest away that Sam has ever been. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't sure if the movie was trying to communicate that. Like they had traveled so far mm-hmm. in the Shire at that point. Or if Sam is just not very adventurous. It's the second one. Okay. Yeah. You're, you're exactly right that it's just... They they haven't. They're still in Hobbiton. Yeah. They haven't gotten very far yet. Um, right. No, they're, sorry. They're still in the Shire. Yeah. They're still in the I'm Shire. Sorry. Hobbiton encompasses the Shire? The other way around. Okay. The Shire is the whole area, and okay. Hobbiton is a town, a town on the west end of it. Gotcha. Well, western. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody, don't come at me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... Like, Sam has to work for a living, unlike the other three hobbits who are the genteel rich. And considering that when they run into Merry and Pippin, Sam instantly knows whose farm they've robbed. It's likely that this is more for dramatic effect than anything else. Yeah. Uh, Sam's the least worldly of the hobbits and the fellowship. And this was like a nice emotional moment of Sam revealing like his insecurity and his fear and Frodo like helping him step past it. Yeah. So yeah, Sam is definitely an expert on Hobbiton. Mm-hmm. Like when the dudes are on the first leg of their journey, a two-day walk from Hobbiton to Buckland, uh, Pippin gets sleepy and they call for a stop. And they're somewhere in the dark, in the middle of the forest, in the middle of nowhere in the Shire. And Sam's like, oh, there's a perfect spot to rest just ahead of us. I know that there's a dry patch of fir trees we can use to build a fire. I often just take a sleep in this forest bed here. <laughs> so he's like, he's never been across the Brandywine River. He doesn't know anything about the land outside the Shire. But the book says, Sam knew the land well within 20 miles of Hobbiton, but that was the limit of his geography. Okay. Yeah. So I believe this is just in the extended cut mm-hmm. of the movies. But it's a really cool part that, honestly, just like a really awesome moment of world building that I think they should have kept in the theatrical cut. Mm -hmm. But it's where um, Sam and Frodo are uh, taken asleep in the woods. Mm -hmm. And uh, before they like go to rest, they they well, first they hear Mm -hmm. um, the hymn of some wood elves Mm -hmm. and they kind of peek over a log and like, Wood elves. Wood elves. <laughs> um, so he says, they're going to the harbor beyond the White Towers to the Grey Havens. Mm-hmm. They're leaving Middle Earth, never to return. Why can't you come back from the Grey Havens? And what does the point of no return look like when you reach it by ship? Good question. Uh, two things. There isn't really a reason for them to return. <laughs> Magic is fading in Middle-earth, and the elves live more comfortable lives in Valinor. Why? Why is magic fading? No clear information. Is. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's always kind of... The way that the Legendarium is written is kind of that... Middle Earth is the provenance of a different group of people constantly. So, like, first the Valar are there, then the elves, then it's the time of men. Okay. So, at this point, it's just 
happiness and, and magic is fading for the elves. Okay. Um, it's it's worth mentioning that at this point in history, Valinor isn't just a continent across the sea. Mm-hmm. It's like in the sky or space or yeah. another realm. That's kind of what I was wondering. Is it just like a different plane of existence? Pretty much and like, at this point. What does that look like when you get there? Okay. Um, like the transition, give... like the whatever the liminal space, I guess, would be. Well, I want to give a little brief history is that at one point, Valinor was just a continent across the sea. Okay. Then the Numenorean men got too big for their britches and they mounted an attack against the Valar. Thanks. I know. It, they were manipulated by Sauron. It's a whole thing. Okay. Uh, <laughs> all right, all right. We will definitely get to that in a deep lore episode because it's a great story. Who of us has not been manipulated by Sauron in some way? Well, yeah. <laughs> uh, so the Valar are forbidden to hurt elves and men. So they like they cry up to Eru like, help! <laughs> we don't want to fight your kids, but they're about to wreck our whole shop. So Eru sinks the island of Numenor underneath the ocean and... Atlantis. It, it is very similar to Atlantis. Um, it's actually... Oh gosh. I think one of the older names for Numenor or possibly a Quenya name is Adelante. Mm. However, it's just a coincidence. Okay. Like, <laughs> Fine. it's really interesting that there's like the root of word of Adelante. There's like record of Tolkien having invented that word a long time before he wrote this story. Yeah. So it's just a coincidence that it's called Adelante. Mm. Uh, so in addition to sinking Numenor under the waves, he also <laughs> changes, the, first of all, the world wasn't a sphere before this, it was flat. And Eru takes Valinor out of the world and removes it to a different plane or whatever, and then curves the rest of the world around that gap. Okay. So now when you take a ship to Valinor, it kind of travels the old straight path to Valinor instead of continuing around the world. Weird. Yeah, it is. So there, there isn't really, as far as I know, a way to come back from Valinor unless you're specifically sent by the Valar. So is there any, like, description in any of the books of, like, I'm Frodo, I'm set in sail, and what does it, like, look like? What does Valinor look like? Like, what is... Like, I get what you're saying about, like, where it is, mm-hmm. but to my like mortal eyes wouldn't that be like really like unfathomable what i am seeing probably yes yeah yeah so it's just like i'm tripping balls exactly that's what frodo says in the book in in the chapter nine of return of the king when he leaves he says i'm tripping balls sam name a kid after me bye Okay. So it would be definitely super strange. And Frodo and Bilbo are the first mortals to ever go to Valinor. The first mortals to sail to Valinor were actually Elrond's parents, Arendil and Elwing, but they didn't stay mortal, which is a whole thing, so they slipped my mind. Frodo and Bilbo are the first people who are permanently mortal to go to Valinor. First and last, I guess? Not quite. Most of the rest of the fellowship also goes across the sea. Aw. Yeah. Together forever. Even Gimli, the only dwarf. Aw. Yeah. <laughs> because he's such good friends with Legolas. Legolas builds 
the boat that he and Gimli will sail to Valinor in. That's other official ship right there. So ship deeply gay. <gasps> okay. Interesting stuff. Yeah. So that's that's definitely world building that is not in Lord of the Rings. That's from the Silmarillion, which the filmmakers didn't have the rights to. Yeah. Why is there a mass exodus of elves during Frodo times? I guess you kind of just answered that in my last question, which is just that magic is... Magic is fading. Is fading. And so they're all just like, bye. It's, I don't want to live in a world without magic. That's dumb. There's more to it than that, even, because... The elves have very hardy, immortal souls, but their bodies do wear out over oh. time, uh, over over thousands and thousands of years. Yeah. And because of the ways that Morgoth wrecked Middle-earth, like we talked about during the Deep Lore episode about the Ainulindale, okay. uh, Middle-earth is fundamentally corrupted. And this corruption wears on the elves. And the, the ever-changing nature of Middle-earth is another burden on the elves who are unchanging like we see them fighting back against that by using the rings to preserve Rivendell and Lothlorien but keeping the land unchanged is unnatural in Middle Earth okay but Valinor is as unchanging as the elves and the land there is uncorrupted and doesn't wear on the elves bodies in the same way so they still have a physical form when they go to Valinor correct Yes, it's not. Oh boy, <laughs> I don't want to go on a whole. They don't rant. just like turn into like wisps. Correct. Okay. Valinor is still like a physical location mm-hmm. where you have physical bodies, but it's just like like Sick. infinitely preserved. Mm-hmm. Okay, not just like more preserved, but it's like forever. Mm-hmm. It's a forever place. Definitely. That's why it's called the Undying Lands. So there, there isn't necessarily a mass exodus only during Frodo times mm-hmm. because elves have been leaving Middle-earth to go to or return to Valinor since like the second age. It's just kind of like when that generation of elves gets like, they, their bodies start to be like, mm, yeah, I got like, a, a My knees are kind of weak. We should oh. probably go. Oh, hashtag goals. <laughs> uh, in, in book canon, Frodo says that elves pass through the forest uh, in the Shire every spring and autumn, huh. like on their way to the Great Havens. That's it's not cool. always to go to Valinor. Yeah. Sometimes it's just to look into a Palantir that can see Valinor. What is the word that you just used? Palantir? Yeah. The seeing stones. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I have a question about that later. Hell yeah. So, last question about this um, brief part of only the extended cut. <laughs> this one short scene in <laughs> yeah. the extended edition. So, uh, they're wood elves. Mm-hmm. What other kinds of elves are there and what is like the distinction? This has such a complicated answer that I'm going to try to make normal sounding. <laughs> so, I said I, I used the term versus high elves, but mm-hmm. that might be some other lore that I'm thinking of. I don't know if high elves are a thing in Lord of the Rings. I'm also not 100% sure. I'm sure that okay. it's used like in Fanon, yeah. um, but I'm not sure if it's ever used in the books. Uh, so we'll really get into the details of the distinction during a deep lore episode about the sundering of the elves. Okay. But for right now, a succinct version is that when the elves awaken in Middle-earth, uh, one of the Valar, Arome the Hunter, arrives and says, come with me if you want to see some really good trees. 
trees. <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> Show me trees. Does that sound like me? <laughs> the elves as a whole go west with him to Valinor, but during the course of their journey, for various reasons, different groups of elves break off and remain where they stopped in Middle-earth. Um, the most basic explanation of elf classes is that the closer a group of the elves traveled to Valinor during this journey, and more importantly, the closer they got to the light of the two trees of Valinor, the better and taller and wiser and hashtag more powerful they are uh, and their descendants are throughout the history of Middle-earth. So the Avari are a group of elves who didn't ever join the westward journey because they were like the gentlest of the elves and they were afraid of Orome the hunter and they like hid from him huh. so they're at the bottom of the totem pole power wise whereas the Calaquendi or elves of the light are the elves who made it all the way to the west of Middle Earth and across the sea and to Valinor to witness the light of the two trees and they're the tippy top and that's like Lothlorien. I mean, at least visually, that's what it seems like. Um, it is. The trees of Lothlorien are modeled after mm-hmm. the trees in the gardens of Lorien in Valinor. I, I suppose I mean like the the elves that you would find in Lothlorien ah, yes. are the ones that are like the tippy top. So that's like a Legolas elf. Actually, <laughs> our uh, Galadriel and Celeborn are mm-hmm. Calaquendi, but most of the elves that they rule over are uh, like Sylvan elves, elves who didn't actually get to Valinor. So they're more like mid, I guess. Yeah. Versus like, I guess, because I'm thinking of it, there's such a different aesthetic. Like totally. Rivendell seems like it's more the lower tier. That's really interesting to me. I mean, you're right about the elves that live there. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, like Elrond is yeah. a Calaquendi. Right. And I realize Elrond is like one of the higher power dudes, but it uh-huh. seems like he at least lives in a place that is more like of those lower tier elves. Yeah, it's just because it's more natural looking and to us. Yeah. Whereas the the Lothlorian elves like live barefoot in trees and stuff. Yeah. And, and Elrond like, like has inex- a house. Everything is inexplicably glowing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're absolutely right. Yeah. No, wait, you're not right. Oh, wait. Wait, oh no. Because Rivendell is farther west than Lothlorian. Really? Wait. I'm gonna have to think about this. Huh. Yeah. The but whole- it's just like Lothlorian looks so much more like Fancy pants. Magical. Galadriel is definitely hashtag more powerful than Elrond. Yeah. Because she herself witnessed the light of the two trees, whereas Mm. Elrond is, like, descended from people who did. Mm, Okay. So that explains some of it. Yeah. It's complicated. (laughs) It really is. Uh, So, yeah, our our, our friends Galadriel and Elrond and, like, Gil-galad, who we talked about, he was the one who... uh, fought Sauron with his spear and then got right. <laughs> very badly burned. <laughs> they were all they were all Calaquendi. That just made me think of like Will Ferrell and Awesome. <laughs> I'm I'm not dead. I'm just very badly burned. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, because I was trying to figure out what I sounded like to myself. (laughs) What am I reminding me of? (laughs) (sighs) So basically, during this journey, the farther west they got, the more powerful they are. Uh, Usually in like elf kingdoms, there will be a higher class of elves ruling over like the natural born elves of that region. 
Okay. Like Legolas is a Sindar elf, <laughs> uh, and they're they're somewhere like the western coast. That's as far as they got during the westward journey. Mm-hmm. Um, but they rule over the Sindarin. Or, sorry, they rule over the Sylvan elves, who were like native to the Mirkwood Forest. Okay. Okay. Classism. Yeah. And you can't be ruled by one of your own. You have to be ruled by someone who's fundamentally better than you. Uh, yeah, it's not great. <laughs> That's going to be it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. If you liked what you heard, please consider rating and reviewing us on iTunes. Those reviews really help people find the show. If you have a question or topic you want us to discuss, please email us at speakfriendpod at gmail.com. You can also check out the show's Twitter at speakfriendpod for official pod stuff. My personal Twitter is at askistwin, that's I-S-T-W-E-N, and Audrey is finally cool enough for social media. You can check out her Instagram at Audrey underscore underscore Lynn, L-Y-N. Tune in next time for the answers to burning questions like, what are the mystical seeing stones? Where did they come from? And at what point did Saruman become such a dick? Until next time, Muhu Torgizu Turuguskin. May your beard continue to grow.